I remember my wife calling me and she said, did you hear about what happened in this Wuhan place? Which at the time we never heard of Wuhan, right? right. Never. She says, if you heard that they shut down this entire place with millions and millions of people. And I said to her, never in a million years that happened in the United States. I mean, that's like three Dallas's they shut down. And I'm sure everybody else said the same thing. Right. right. Yeah, same. We're in the basement of City Hall one afternoon and we're starting to get phone calls. And they're saying, hey, the president's going to shut the country down. The president's going to shut the country down. And we took a little break and I went out and called all my kids. And I said, okay, look, don't panic. I'm just telling you, you should probably go to the store and maybe buy some water. You know, who knew toilet paper oh was the gosh. most right. important thing to buy? Today, we have the privilege of having the former mayor of Midland, Texas here, Patrick Payton. We're so happy you yeah, could join us to today. Yeah. Patrick also has a podcast he's been doing for a number of years called No Neutral Moments, uh, audio only. He's actually now uh, premiering it in video format on YouTube, and we will provide a link. Um, Thanks a lot. So, so let's start with um, how you got to Midland in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a long story. My wife and I were raised in Oklahoma in Tulsa area. We went to church together. We met in the seventh grade and um, met back again in college and we were married and we were doing family and I was a food broker uh, back in Oklahoma, which meant that uh, I represented various food manufacturers like Jimmy Dean, um, Sara Lee, uh, all the 35 different food manufacturers. It was a great business. We played a lot of golf and had a lot of fun and uh, we were leading a little Bible study in our home. I was a deacon at the church we were at in Edmund, Edmund Oklahoma and we um, sort of just had this moment where we said, hey, what if we, uh, it's just a longer story, so I'll shorten it. What if, what if we just sold everything and said, okay, God, what's next? And so we just did and cashed everything in, cashed in my 401k. That led us to Louisville, Kentucky, to a seminary, because back in the 90s, you didn't, if you, to follow the Lord just meant you went to seminary. I mean, there's no other option. About that time, why that story is important is because somebody from Oklahoma City that we went to church with moved down here to Midland, who was in the oil and gas business, and started going to First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church decided they wanted to plant another church in Midland on the northwest side of town. And just so people don't know Midland, but for those who are new to Midland, like, well, you're not new, but... <laughs> I'm new. Northwest Midland, when we got here in 1999, was Lowe's. And mm -hmm. Abel Junior High. That's it. And I that putt-putt place. That putt-putt place. That's <laughs> it. There was nothing out there. And and the loop wasn't even open when we moved here. Mm -hmm. So uh, this friend of mine was put on the what they call the pulpit search committee for this new church start. And through a series of events, he found out I had just finished seminary, my wife and I and our kids. And so he called and said, you want to come to Midland, Midland Texas? And I, honestly, you know, no joke. I had never heard of Midland, Texas. I'd never heard of Friday Night Lights. I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, we flew in here on a, on a night flight, which people laugh about, but they did that on purpose because mm -hmm. when you're flying in here at night, you're like, wow, look at all those lights. And then you wake up and you just, it's kind of a shock to the system a little bit. And, and then, so we, that's how we got down here. And we started this, uh, a little committee at First Baptist Church to help start this, this new thing that became Stonegate Fellowship. And we started it, our first services were in August of 1999, started at Abel Junior High and uh, with a couple of hundred people. And then it grew to about 5,000 people every Sunday. And that's wow. how we got down here. Nice. Yeah. I saw lights the first time I got to Midland at night. 
Um, it turns out it was like flames, flames. shooting out of the room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, what is this? Why, Why is, is everything on yeah. fire? The, when I was, moved here, oil was $10 a barrel. Um, wow. Nobody was moving here. Everybody thought, you all are insane. And we didn't know sanity from insanity at the time. We just thought it was an opportunity. And, you know, the football stadium, it's hard to, if people aren't from here. It was just, it was like this little, I called it Mayberry on speed is what I called it. It, it was just at any moment, Andy Griffith or Barney Fife could show up. And it was a very much slower atmosphere. Um, yeah, it's just like a small town. And, you know, uh, I was in a meeting one night and it started raining. And the people who were Midlanders literally stopped the meeting. And I was, I was like, what is going on? Did I mess up? Did I make somebody mad? And they went outside to go watch the rain. And I actually had that happen to me where I was on the other side of that yeah. this past week. I was like, it's raining outside. Everybody stop and look out the window. So Tara does that now. That's he is like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, do you want to go outside and watch it with me? And I'll yeah. just stand on the back porch. I'm like, And then the next day, everything will be green. Yeah. It's the crazy. And then your thing. weeds are like 10 feet tall. All oh, of a yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. crazy. But uh, that's how we got here. Um 20, almost 24 years ago. Okay, so 20, I mean, 20 years, pastor at Stonegate, yeah. right? But obviously you had a business background. Yeah. Um, so let's jump to, I mean, obviously, like, here's what I heard coming to middle, like, from everybody. Great place for families, great place to raise your kids. Did you find that to be true as well? Um, yes, in general. Um, maybe this isn't a nice thing to say. I was mayor, but... Midland is also very private, I think. Mm -hmm. People, um, I'm avoiding the word cliquish. It's sort of, um, I'm a big fan. I'm into musicals. I used to do musicals when I was young, and I was the music man years mm -hmm. ago. And there's a song in the music man where they say, uh, you know, welcome to Iowa. Um, and the whole premise of the song is, we'll be nice to you if you want to. And so there's a little bit of a vibe here in Midland. Like, we're out here in the desert, and if you stick around for a while, It'll be a great home for you. Yeah. I mean, you get that vibe? I mean, I, I do. And I hear that from a lot of other people. Like, unless you have, like, your core group, whether you meet them through church or CrossFit or right. or whatever, like, it can be hard for people to, like, find their people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you feel like you're kind of in rush week at college. <laughs> and and then you get into the fraternity and you're a West Texan. Yeah. And and so. Uh, got to earn your stripes. You got you to gotta earn being West Texan because yeah. it's just a different way of life. And so it became a great place to raise our kids. Uh, you know, they're all grown up now. We have five grandkids now. But uh, uh, and then we just I, we were here at the perfect time for when Midland just sort of there was nothing radically new taking place in the oil and gas industry, and and this whole idea of hydraulic fracking had not taken off yet. Mm -hmm. And so around 2005, 2006, 2007, that's when things started to ramp up. Um, and, and this is the first time we noticed that when there was this great recession of 2008, we began to see the opposing cycles of being in West Texas. So mm -hmm. when the economy is rotten in the rest of the country, Midland tends to be this really thriving place. And when Midland is not doing so good, sometimes the rest of the nation is doing really well. We're like opposite polar opposites. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've been here almost three years now. Um, so I'm trying to still earn my stripes, but, yeah. you know, I grew up in Las Vegas, so, which is, again, there's no city like Las Vegas yeah. in the country. And if, if Midland was like Las Vegas, I would be scared for the residents here. But also I think that, you know, everybody, every city can end up in sort of like a vacuum of their own echo chamber. Yeah. So not being from West Texas, not 
knowing anything about the oil and gas industry. Moving here, I didn't really have any preconceived notions. When I got here, you know, the first thing I was exposed to were super nice people, <laughs> right? And Tara hadn't been back, you know, you left after, you had been gone for, you know, whatever, a couple decades, yeah, 20 years. And I told Tara, I go, is this how Midland is? And she goes, oh yeah, it's the nicest people. You know, she's like, now, they're going to know your business because it's a small town, but I'm telling you, as long as you're not, you know, it's shady yeah. and a jerk, yeah, right? Like, it's great, and people are great. And I was like, man, this is not Vegas. This is true. This is very true. Yeah. Except when it rains. You know, in Vegas, when it rains, everything floods. <laughs> yeah. Here, when it rains, it floods. Yeah. And funny enough, Vegas is probably one of my top three places to visit. Yeah. It's my favorite place. Because we learned when we moved here. You could get on that nonstop flight and you could fly to Vegas. And if you left here at 10, you get to Vegas at 10. Yeah. And then you go see shows and you come home on a nonstop flight and it's fantastic. So yeah, if she we would tell me the stories about people like when oil was booming, right? It was like flights to Vegas, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's buy let's buy our own plane. Let's go. You know what I mean? I'd be like, what what's happening in this? Where did you grow up? You know? <laughs> yeah. But I also got here in 2020. So let's talk about uh, 2019, 20. So yeah. you retire from Stonegate mm -hmm. as the, as the, as the founding pastor and you make a run to become the mayor. <laughs> well, um, you know, we retired from Stonegate because I made a commitment that I would leave before they told me to, or wanted me to. I always saw pastors of churches stay forever and prop up these kingdoms and fiefdoms. And the church was thriving. It was out of debt. It was doing the best it's done in, in 18 years. We were like, you know what, now's the time to get out. And uh, didn't know what I was going to do yet. Uh, I had the Peyton group already started because people asked me to consult, travel, and speak. And um, and I recorded a podcast, actually, that because um, the rumors were I was leaving to go run for public office. I'd been real involved in Washington, D.C. things and, and some uh, advocacy issues and had been to the United Nations and, and all these places. And um, so everybody th thought, he's leaving to go run for Senate. He's going to run for the House. And so I did this podcast, and the interviewer says, so are you going to run for Senate? And I said, no. And I said, I'm never going to run for mayor. So <laughs> the funny thing about that is when I decided to run for mayor, my youngest son told me, he said, Dad, if I was your opponent, I'd take that clip and play it on air over and over and over again. So I'm like, thank you, son. But uh, no, we just, um, oddly enough, I didn't have any intention or desire. We just had a lot of people ask us, hey, why don't you consider running for mayor? We think you'd be good to run for mayor. And there were no issues really to run on, mm -hmm. um, you know, growth of Midland, different ways to grow. You, you could talk about that, but when you get in office, that's a little harder to do than you think it is when you're, when you're campaigning. We, mm -hmm. we learned the slogan that you campaign, then you're elected, then you have to deal with reality. And so, yeah, we, we ran for office. Um, we had a great win. I mean, we had an overwhelming win and then we walk into office in January and honestly, it was just felt like we were on a rocket ship. I mean, the economy was thriving and, um, you know, I don't know if you want me just to go right into when all hell broke loose. I mean, not. yeah, you're, listen, you, so you get elected in the end of 2019, you yeah. take office. In, January 2020. January 2020. sounds like, it, I mean, it's cruising. Oh, right? yeah. Like, at least for the first, what, three months. Yeah, you're to going the like, end of February. Okay. Almost to the end of February, we're hearing about this China thing. I remember my wife calling me and she said, did you hear about what happened in this Wuhan place? Which at the time we never heard of Wuhan, right? right? Never. She says, if you heard that they shut down this entire place with millions and millions of people, and I said to her, 
Never in a million years that happened in the United States. I mean, that's like three Dallas's they shut down. And I'm sure everybody else said the same thing. Right. right. Yeah, same. So we're in the basement of City Hall one afternoon, and we're starting to get phone calls um, from around the nation. And, and they're friends of friends who are on military bases and different things. And they're saying, hey, the president's going to shut the country down. The president's going to shut the country down. And uh, my friend from, from this military base said, you need to go get ready. And, and I remember we took a little break, and I went out and called all my kids. And I said, okay, look, don't panic. I'm just telling you, you should probably go to the store and maybe buy some water. You know, who knew toilet paper oh was the gosh. most right. important thing to buy? And I said, I don't know what's going to happen. Don't worry about it. And so we go home, and then... That's about the time the hospital calls me and says, okay, we don't have any cases yet, but we need to start getting together. So we bring together all the different parties, the county, the city, the hospital, the school system, and we sit around and go, what's our, what's our game plan going to be here? We still don't know. We haven't had a case here. Mm -hmm. And next thing we know, the hospital calls and says, we have a case. And I'm like, okay. And then next thing you know, the hospital calls and says, okay, now we got more cases. Um, and next thing we know, hospital's like, okay, now we're getting kind of overrun. And that's about the time, you know, March, it just all starts ramping up. And, and then that's, you know, I use the phrase when all hell broke loose. So that's really when it got nutty. And, um, it's when we saw how easy people could get afraid. Nobody mm -hmm. knew anything. Um, you, you didn't you didn't really know what data you were getting. You felt like the healthcare workers were doing the best they could, but really didn't have maybe all the information you wanted. And it was early on, early on in that when you began to see um, out of uncertainty almost came this draconianness, so to speak. And and already you were hearing people say, but what about, but what about? And, you know, now the conversations are rampant about what about ivermectin or hydrochloric one or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it was just um, something in me said, hang on a minute. Um, and because we lived in Midland, this goes back to the character of Midland, you don't, you don't tell West Texans what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably, no, it's not probably. It is the reddest political district in the United States. Um, there wasn't even a, like we joke about there's like 10 Democrats here in Midland, you know, and, and. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are, you say you're a Republican. And, yeah. and so I knew, okay, this is getting ramped up. And by April, May, June, the fighting started. You know, the groups started coming at each other. And the first meeting I had with healthcare workers that came to my conference room, they all sat around this conference room table. I mean, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they said, Mayor, if you don't shut this city down, you will have 2,000 dead people on your hand in three months. And so wow. are you going to buy refrigerated trucks? I mean, literally, that was the meeting. Wow. The next phone call was from another group that said, if you shut the city down, you're a socialist Marxist communist, mm -hmm. and we'll make sure you're kicked out of office. So the first thing we had to deal with was, hmm, apparently there is no middle ground in this conversation. <laughs> and that's when I began to, and I think our entire council, to their credit, did I think we did something that most cities didn't do, which was we said, if it's this extreme, then both sides are right and both sides are wrong. Mm -hmm. So there has to be something in the middle that we can wrestle with. And we actually called it the radical middle. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'll keep going. There's so many stories. I mean, uh, you know, it's, um, I started getting calls because we, for some reason, um, you know, the governor 
Congress wasn't in session in Texas because mm-hmm. they're only every other year. And he kept started, he started issuing these edicts. There was the mask mandates. There was the shelter in place mandates and all these different things. And you couldn't go to work and all this. And telling Midlanders they can't go to work is another serious capital crime. And, and so uh, for some, some weird reason, I ended up on Fox News. And um, it was the evening Fox News show. Um, and it was also because of oil was starting to tank. And so they were wanting to talk to us. We had, I was interviewed by Italian television came here. German television came here. I was on the BBC, uh, CNN, Fox News. Wow. And on Fox News, they said, we, we hear um, that you don't quite agree with the governor. And I said, well, it's not that I don't I have issue with the governor, but the problem I have is we're starting to issue all these, these mandates and we're not calling in the Congress or the, the legislature to start debating these issues. We're just issuing, you know, governor's uh, executive orders. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, I think living in a representative republic, it's important in this time of crisis, especially that you start debating these issues, even if you have to do them over Zoom. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes from that phone call or that Zoom session, I get a phone call from the governor's people that said, why are you picking a fight with the governor? Mm. And I said, I'm not picking a fight with the governor. I just, I, I believe this. And then that led to a, several other discussions and uh, uh, which ended up covering energy. And so we, you know, as a city council, the mask mandate thing came up and um, we put it on the agenda to, to debate it. And man, you talk about a council meeting. I mean, people I were there, they were picketing, they were, you know, shouting at each other and all this kind of stuff. And I said, look, I'm not going to become a dictator. We're going to vote on it as a council. Mm-hmm. And we voted it down and more haters came out and, you know, we had police in front of our house protecting us and all this kind wow. of stuff. Yeah. You got, was it, is the, is it the governor that has the final, like, if something's going to get shut down, it's the governor's well say, unless you defy it, which we did. Okay. I mean, we just said, no, we're not going to enforce it. I mean, we, I made it clear I was not going to send the police department out to find people not wearing masks and I was not going to send the police department out finding people who opened their businesses telling them they had to shut down. Um, yeah, I mean, my, for me personally, like it was, I, it's a choice. Like, do I want to wear a mask and potentially protect myself, but also like the elderly people that I'm around mm-hmm. and the high risk people. And that's the choice I made. But then like my dad was like, I will never ever wear a diaper mm-hmm. on my face. And I'm like, you do you yeah. like it's, it's choice. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I spent a good third of my career in the faith-filled world Mm -hmm. and everything can get very dogmatic and which it is. I mean, and you, you don't have discussions about heated items and when things get heated and people get afraid, number one, you can control them. Mm -hmm. And number two, you shut off discussion and debate. And there was another hitch that I had, which was when debate and discussion was getting shut down and just asking questions was getting shut off on social media. And once I started seeing sort of this, this uh, editorializing of opinions and this canceling of, of debate, there was something else in me that said, okay, hang on a minute. You just, you can't start doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we pushed back more and, we, you know, uh, it, it just, man, it was an intense time. It was. Uh, Do you feel like your, your opponents at that time were just like, that they didn't win? <laughs> oh, you, you would not believe every person um, that, had been a mayor would come up to me and say, 
I'm so thankful I never had to do this. And I mean, uh, I, and I would joke with my our opponents and tell them, you know, when we'd see each other, they'd be like, "Glad you won." And but it was, you know, it was taxing. It was very uh, taxing. You you don't realize. I still have a folder of all the hate email. I mean, it was, and I got hate email from all over the nation once. Wow. You ended up on television, and there'd be a good 50% of them began with, you know, good, lousy MF um, you know, and then wow. multiple. Then I, that's when I first learned that people would get on these email things and these bots, and then I started getting these right. emails, you know. I'd get several that said, we hope you get the worst case of COVID, they don't have a bed in the hospital, you die the most aye, horrible aye. death. and. And that's also when I learned that people who are for you and support you don't write um, emails to support. They'll write you a quick note and say, hey, appreciate everything you're doing. Haters, like, write books. Yeah. And, right. They and, spend a lot of energy. Yeah, a lot of energy. And yeah. lovers are like, love you. Appreciate all you're yeah. doing. And the haters just, you know, and that's when you finally just learn. I'll stop reading it. I'm not going to read yeah. it. Don't read the comments. Yeah. Ever. And that's that, that's a funny comment. I've always told my wife and my kids, I'd said, don't read the comments. And unfortunately, your kids do. And, you know, it takes, it takes a toll on your family when they read yeah. what they're saying about their dad. And, not um, bad. Yeah. So it was funny thing is I never got COVID that whole time. Nice. Ever. I mean, and I was around people all the time. Yeah. And if I had it, I didn't know I had it. Um, but, it, you know, after a while, Midland sort of calmed down. Uh, I did a big press conference in front of Tall City Brewery, and I said, this city is open. We're not going to shut down. And that began a whole other f- string of hating. And But <laughs> it, um, yeah, it was it was insane. So next, do you want to run for governor? No. <laughs> no. I mean, look at it from this way. Like, we were, talk- we were talking earlier, and it was like, okay, so in, in 99, you, you started a new career, essentially, mm-hmm. right, and came to Midland, and then... Shortly after that, Y2K hit. Yeah, I remember. And that. then the 20 years later, you, you take on a new role, global pandemic. So I was yeah. sitting there going like, whatever Patrick Payton is, is thinking about doing at the beginning of 2040, let us know ahead of time. Because <laughs> there's a crisis coming. Because we want to stock up on the toilet paper, apparently. <laughs> yeah. At that point. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of just ebbed out here in many respects. Because we didn't have all these things propped up that you had to do and... Um, but you know, I, th- one of the podcasts we did, we interviewed Bob Fu. And in the middle of that is when all those protesters came into town from China. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole nother issue, you know? Um, and then we had negative oil. That was another issue when the oil went to negative 35. Uh, we had, um, we had a, an incident where uh, a young man had an inter- interaction with the police and it was right in the heart of the black lives matter protest. And this was a young African-American gentleman. And uh, so we had protesters come from out of town, and uh, we ended up in a town hall meeting that we had to get escorted out by the police. Dang. Um, yeah, it was. It was. So you had an eventful. It was very leadership. eventful, like tax discuss. We would joke as a council that kind of when things calmed down and we had to stop, talk about property taxes, we're like, "This is great. We're just <laughs> sure. glad we can talk about property taxes." I mean, I looked at a statistic that said, you know, on average, the average salary, yearly salary for a mayor in in Texas as a whole was around let's say $60,000 mm-hmm. a year. So it's clearly, you know, you don't get into becoming a mayor for the money. And it seems like, you know, so you even know what outside the mayor of Midland pain, makes. I don't. $75 a month. What? Wait, what? Yeah. The mayor of Midland makes $75 a month. Okay. And Listen. they take taxes out. Outside and, of a 
global pandemic, global pandemic aside, what type of person wants to get into that knowing you're going to get like, here's what I think a mayor does, right? It's like, obviously, you, you're in charge of the budget, the city budget and going like, okay, it needs roads and police and fire and things like that. And, but the amount of controversy or hate potentially, right? You're not, you're not going to please everybody. Oh, right? well, yeah. Never. You, you, Never. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You better settle that pretty early in life. dollars. <laughs> yeah. But, but remember, okay, Midland, two high schools, 130,000 people, you know, sort of a, like we said, Mayberry on speed, central hub of all the oil and gas industry in the United States, top three in the, in the world. Midland was never a city that had to be managed. I mean, okay. you know, so as a city council and a mayor, you just represented your people, you took care of roads, you took care of the police and fire. Occasionally something would happen and you'd have to deal with it. Um, there'd be a tragedy you'd have to deal with. But never, ever in the history of Midland has there been this need to have a full-time mayor. So when you become mayor, you sort of are... Um, you're getting into it to say, I just want to serve the community as best I can, make sure we stay on track. I do a lot related to strategic thinking and planning, so I thought I could bring that to the city. So when you step into the world we stepped into in 2020, 21, and 22, it, the game changed. And it, mm -hmm. was, it was 40 to 50 hours a week because you're now in the middle of this. And yeah. this has become a full-time job while I'm also running a company in two states. And city council members get paid $25 a month. That's so, so crazy. So you begin to see what's happened though is, you know, you can overreact and say, now wait, we need to we need to have a huge salary for the mayor and everything. But the city hasn't changed to that degree yet. But it it was uh, yeah, it was it was a money losing proposition for a good three years. It takes a certain type of person to want to take any sort of like, you know, um, official office mm -hmm. around the country, right? So it's like. Is there any certain traits or any advice you can give to somebody who's thinking about, who's like, hey, I want, I'm thinking about yeah. running for office? Huh. Don't do it. <laughs> that would be the first. I, I think that um, you, you have to make a fundamental decision. You're either a servant or a narcissist, one of the two. And okay. I know that sounds like two extremes, but if you watch politics, you can sort of pick, pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so if you're going to be a servant, you are going to realize you're going to have to you're going to have to find a way in the radical middle. And that's not a very popular place today because everything is so divisive and so extreme. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that we have a young generation, whether it's the Xers or the millennials that are looking for that. You're not seeing it on the national stage right now. I think it's an important time for young people to consider going into politics. But um You've just got to make sure, number one, you're not in it for yourself. Number two, you're going to find out who your real friends are, and you're going to have about three. Um, number f number two or three, whatever it is, make sure your family understands what they're getting into because people are going to come at them. Um, and um, you just got to be really, 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 really comfortably solid in who you are because the temptation to please people is – higher than any place I've ever been, like even the pastoring world. I mean, mm -hmm. in the pastoring world, you had a conviction window, you know, that you preached out of. And if people liked it, they come to your church. If they didn't, they didn't have to come to your church. And that's the way it was. As a mayor or a representative of people, you have to represent all different people, all different races, all different opinions. And really the wisdom is in navigating the extremes. And you, 
you can either do that or you're going to go one side or the other because of the approval and the money that will come your way. So at that time, you were here for 20 years, been here almost 25 years. What are some of the common, I guess, complaints or gripes that you you would hear over the over the years about Midland? Very uh, trivial things, quite frankly. Uh, incessant complaints about the roads, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I laugh because I think the only reason people in Midland complain about roads all the time is because we're so uh, smallish mm -hmm. and you, you kind of drive over the same roads all the time and you don't realize that the toll it takes and, you know, and, and they forget because they've left Dallas or Fort Worth or Las Vegas. Cause every time I go back to the big city, I'm like, every road is under construction here. Like yeah. we're not the exception to the rule here. Yeah. So you, you hear that. And then if you, if you're not fixing roads, I mean, this is across the board. People complain. If you're not fixing roads, then you're doing something wrong. If you're fixing roads, you're fixing too many. So that's yeah. a common complaint. Um, <laughs> the second most common complaint was trash. Yes. Totally. And and that one's legit because we have a community that we're very similar to a military city with transiency and people who come in and leave and all this kind of stuff. You know, the man camps you see on the outside mm -hmm. of town. That's an issue. And the wind blows like nobody's business. And the mesquite trees we have everywhere and trash, you know, and all they this kind of stuff. They just catch it all. They just catch it. Yeah. And I used to get, I was on the radio every Wednesday, every other Wednesday after city council meetings. And I get all these phone calls when I, when I, while I was on air about, what are you going to do about picking up the trash? And, and finally, I just said, I personally am not going to do anything, but I'm going to ask you if you're going to pick up trash. Because yeah. that's the bottom line. So we sort of tried to change this narrative, pick up trash. And people started to do it. The third complaint was there's nothing to do, um, which was really kind of funny. But I will confess when I moved here, we didn't have a Starbucks. I mean, not one, not even in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. So now, well, we got Dutch Brothers, we got Black Rifle, we got we we got more human coffee being, shops. Yeah, the human the being, all these places. <laughs> um, so people say there's nothing to do, and that was a, a very a, a more legitimate complaint. Maybe ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that's beginning to change more and mm -hmm. more. And the median age here in Midland is like what thirty two. Yeah. So when I moved here, it wasn't even close to that. Yeah. So. People were like, we don't want anything to do. We mm -hmm. we like what we do. Yeah. And now that's changing, um, beginning to change. We're never going to have like a, an amusement park or something here, you know. Um, so the, honestly, people who go to amusement, I'm baffled by that because I don't believe that locals go to the amusement park in their city. They don't. It's it, that is for tourists. That's right. So even if you had an amusement <laughs> park, you wouldn't go to it. I mean, I will say I know people in L.A. who like go to Disney all the time. So like literally L.A. or like a 50 mile radius? Um, most of them like live in L.A. or the Valley. So yeah, I look at it like 50 miles. Uh, we, it's, it's kind of like in vegan, vegan, ve are they Vegasons? What are they? Vegans? Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. Right. Las Vegans. Las Vegans. That doesn't even sound <laughs> that doesn't right. Even sound <laughs> that right, sounds ridiculous. Sincidians. Like you Vegas never, locals. Like you don't see locals on the strip. You do Not, see yeah. them at Red Rock and Green Valley, uh -huh. but they don't go to the, they're like, why would I go there? So I, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, I don't want a $22 cocktail on the strip when I could get it right. for $4 off strip. Yeah. Same reason why if I'm in Orlando, I'm not going out of my way to go and have dinner at Epcot Center. Exactly. Right? Like versus exactly. just going around the corner. No, it, it's, the city's changed so much. It really has. I mean, it's, uh, it, I would say Midland is in its, uh, if you compared it to a kid, I think Midland is about 18 or 19 years old right now. It's all of a sudden going to have to decide. 
okay, we got to be, we got to grow up now. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're not what we used to be. We don't know what we're going to be. And, and the industry has dictated a lot of that. So I don't know what years you were here, but you know, in the past when there was a boom, there was this, this flood of people who would show up here. And as soon as it retreated, the flood of people would leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told you when I moved here, oil was $10 a barrel. We needed office furniture for the church. And there were no major oil companies here anymore. They deserted all these buildings. And so we called them and said, can we buy your furniture? And they're like, absolutely. Yeah. And we bought like CEO desks for $25. I mean, this wow. place was a ghost town. Yeah. And and then so it would be in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. And, and you remember that sort of. Now, because the industry has turned from mining to manufacturing and they're trying to work off, off positive cash flow and they, they've really changed their model, um, you know, trying to pay dividends and all this kind of stuff. You're seeing this, not this rocket ship up, which means Midland is turning into a self-sustaining perpetual community, which there's also data that shows the closer you get to 150,000 as a community, the more self-sufficient you become and not susceptible to the the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. So again, we're like, okay, uh, I think we've gone through puberty as a community, maybe. And now it's like, okay, here we go. And, and, and we're going to have to make slow, steady investments as a city and uh, for people to want to stay even longer. Like, I remember when one of the booms was, like, just beginning. Like, housing was such an issue out uh, here that, like, people were, like, living in storage units. Totally. Like, it was wild. No, just because the influx of work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people and just, you couldn't get a hotel room no. anywhere no. unless you were staying in, like, some sketchy, sketchy places. Yeah. In, like, in the early, well... I forget the years, but it was probably 2014, 15. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong on my dates. You could not get a hotel room in this city for less than $500 a month, a, day, a night. And that was wow. not the win. Yeah, it's Bellagio yeah. prices. Yeah, I mean, it was that, not you, the four seasons. It was not at all. <laughs> and, you know, by comparison, sorry, by comparison, first home we bought here uh, was a beautiful home in a community called Grassland and pretty brand new uh one, two, three, four, three bedroom. Was it three bedroom? I mean, a couple of bathrooms, full garage, yard, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was it was probably twenty five hundred square feet, hundred thirty one thousand dollars. Dang. Okay, that's that's yeah, that's cheap. I thought Vegas was cheap. Vegas was cheap. Yeah, we sold it for over three. Yeah. Okay. And you just and you but to, for somebody to find a really nice house here in town in Midland for one hundred thirty one thousand dollars ain't happening. No. Not even a bad house, probably. No. And I yeah. look at real estate a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so it's, that's how much it's changed. Yeah. From the people that we, you know, have interviewed in the past or just talked through, through you know, conversation, I started to get the sense, and, you know, Terry, maybe you can confirm this or not, but it was like the younger generation would go, okay, we born here in Midland, grew up here in Midland. But the second that we could get out, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, well, off to Austin or yes. off to Dallas or things like that. And so, you know, to hear the aspect of there's nothing to do, I'm sitting there going like, well, are, are you comparing it to those major metropolitans? I mean, I feel like any small, smaller yeah. city would have the same sort of gripes, yeah. I guess, right? Like, if- yeah, I think it's, I think the young people see the allure of the city. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, and we knew this in the church world, we knew when young people change is when they have kids. So what's happened to a lot of these young people is, and when I say young, we're talking late 20s, early 30s. Okay. They start having families, and then their their perception of where they want to raise those kids 
radically changes. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and since most of our major cities are kind of having some issues about how family friendly they are or family safe they are, mm -hmm. they're sort of having this, okay, you know, maybe I want to go back to Mayberry and I like the sunset and I like the sunrises and I like the weather most of the time when it's not 150 degrees. Um, it's easy to get around for the most part. It's easy to get around. Even and when even, traffic's bad, it's not that bad. Totally. <laughs> and then, and then if you grew up here, by the time they've come back, things have, you know, we've got more restaurants. There's, there's much more cuisine, so to mm -hmm. speak. And, uh, there's people doing things. It's just changed. And so they're like, okay, I think I want to raise my family here. Yeah. That makes sense. You sort of mature, um, as a whole and, like you're saying, the allure of the city, right? I just happened to grow up in the city. But then I, I realized early on, like, as soon as I had kids, I was like, oh, I never thought about a school district before. They're, they're terrible now. That yeah, I, they're that terrible. I it. Um, totally. So let's talk about the Peyton Group. Mm -hmm. So you started that right before you ran for, for mayor. So, But this is a – you're in business and leadership coaching? Yeah, it's, it's sort of a – a lot of different things. It started out as I was asked to work with CEOs and executives on leadership stuff, which I'm not a big fan of the coaching business realm because it's a lot of it is made up of people who are um, go to a little class and get a coaching certification. They don't really have any history, uh, business history, success, or whatever it might be. They just have their shtick. Mm -hmm. um, so I've sort of tried to avoid that and. Uh, but I have a pretty large client list. And the way I describe it is I'm an avid golfer. Most people aren't. But um, in golf, the world's best golfers all have coaches. Um, and if you watch them when they're practicing, their coaches stand behind them. And they may not say a word. But occasionally, the pro will turn around and ask him a question. And he'll say something like, you should move your thumb or something like that. And the way I equate it is I, the clients I walk with, I spend time to build a relationship. And I am a guide on the side who watches them play their game. And if they trust me enough and they understand that I understand what they're doing, then they're going to ask me, Hey, I'm going to give this speech. Can you listen to me? Give this speech. We're going to, I'm going to go into this meeting. Can you help me with this? I'm dealing with this. And, and that's the value I create is saying, okay, I'm just, you know, as I heard one guy say, he goes, people are tired of sages on stages. They need guides on sides. And so I like I've just sort of said, you know what, let me just be your guide on the side. And, um, companies, like that um, because it's not a I keep saying um that's a terrible filler I haven't used that in a long time <laughs> but it just it's just there's no shtick for each person I just have I've done business with people for nearly 35 plus years so you just bring a well wheelhouse or warehouse of knowledge and if I can stand and kind of be your Yoda I just want to help you be the best Luke Skywalker you can be and I'm not a Star Wars fan but uh, that just came to mind <laughs> And that's what we do. And then we do boardroom consulting and then some uh, investing and different things like that. You're saying you're working with the CEOs. Like, is it is it marketing help? Is it sales help? Is it just, is it culture help? It can is be it, all of the above. All of it. It can be all of the above. You know, it's uh, with some of the marketing that I work with with people, it's me just listening to them. And they're saying, we're working on this marketing proposal. I have a client who was doing a big rollout. And he just called me and said, I've got my slide presentation ready for how we're going to roll out this marketing campaign. Can you just come and let be a neutral guy? And I try not to, it's hard because I'm in their businesses a lot. So I don't want to become like an expert in their business because mm -hmm. I'm not. I want to be an expert in people. So I'll go and watch their slideshow. And with this one individual, I went through the whole slideshow 
And I, I remember saying, can you go back to slide three and let's just change a sentence. And can you tell me about the words you're going to use? And I've had clients who call me and say, I'm getting ready, like I said a minute ago, to have a conversation with an employee. We've already done the HR thing. Can I rehearse my conversation with you? Absolutely. Just let's just do that. Or, or I help them with public speaking. Um, and then I'll help them with strategic planning if I need to do that. It, it's just it's a real niche I've been able to find that if I don't have a shtick, I've used that word twice now, um, if I don't have a shtick but I have an understanding and some wisdom and some perception, then they can trust me and say, okay, I can trust him and, and I can bring him alongside of me and literally this is where I use the word that I don't like. He can kind of coach me yeah. from the press box or the sidelines. So that's what that's turned into. Well, that takes, that takes 30 years of experience that's and right. wisdom in this industry or in various industries and working with various industries it takes 30 years. You become a better coach when you start getting older and realize how many mistakes you made. I mean, you, you, you don't become a great coach because you were great. Mm -hmm. you, you become a better coach because you have the ability to replay your game and go, wait, I would have done that. I should have done that different. I would have done that different. And, you know, because the older you get, usually the quieter you get because you realize I'm not as smart as I was when I was in my 30s. And so now I'm chasing down 60. I just turned 56 and I'm much more comfortable with, I'm not that smart, but I can watch, you know? And it's important to be able to like learn from your mistakes and recognize them mm -hmm. and go, okay, cool. This yeah. is what I should have done. Instead of being like, I'm perfect all the time. Yeah. And, and, never you, mess and, up. You, and you can tell somebody, Hey, I, when I went through that, let me tell you what I went through. Yeah. And then you just take my, what I'm telling you and see if what you want to do with it, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, from conflict resolution to how you have conversations with people and uh, how you can be patient with people. You know, I probably my first 10 years of being a pastor, the Lord was just gracious that I was so aggressive uh, to just push and push and push that I didn't run over people, you know. And it, I remember this moment I had this idea. That I was like, you know what? I'm actually going through people to get stuff done rather than taking people with me through issues. And that was a big kind of aha moment of, wait a minute, this is, this is all about relationships. This is all about building each other up. And, and in business, I think there's a generational shift taking place where the young generation, the 30-somethings, they want to know first, can they trust you? And then do you know their, who they are and do you really want them? Because they're not young people aren't worried about if they're competent at something. They can figure stuff out so fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, they... They can use chat GPT or they can go to YouTube and learn something. What they want to know is, is there a relationship in this thing? Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a cultural shift. Speaking of um, YouTube, especially like I wanted to get your thoughts on, because, you know, I have, um, you know, 18 year old son, 22 year old daughter, right? You're talking Gen Z. Mm -hmm. Is that Gen Z? That's Gen Z. Um, but I hear time and time again, like the teenagers out there, it's like, the number one career that they want to be in is a YouTuber, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like gone are the days of, and even for my generation, you know, I didn't think about spending 30 years at the same, at one company and get, you know, and retire from that one company yeah. and get a gold watch. You know, I think everything is so fast paced now, but I'm, I'm curious to, you know, when I go through YouTube, you just get inundated with this, like, how to make a fifty thousand dollars in in twenty four hours type of mentality, right? Like the most, the maximum amount of money for the least amount of work, right? And the least amount of time. and the least amount of time, mm -hmm. which traditionally was 
of, uh, the perfect storm of getting scammed, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but I mean, so as someone who's spent 30 year, mm-hmm. 30 plus years honing different multiple skills, like what advice do you have for this, gener- this generation? Mm. First, I think it's fantastic that some of them could make really insane amounts of money. The danger that I see is the ability to make money now rapidly through social media is based upon a character you can create Mm -hmm. rather than the content of the character you have created. So my concern is influencers and others and people who are trying to make a living on social media are marketing out of a really shallow well of who they are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And yes. so I'm, I'm concerned that they could make money and not know who they are. And then they'll lose themselves trying to figure out who they are with their money. For instance, how many young movie stars, you know, who were teenage movie stars or child movie stars were absolute adult wrecks? Well, because they spent their entire life pretending mm-hmm. and acting for a buck and they made a lot of money. Well, that's that's exactly what's happening here. And, and you know, sometimes they're marketing clothes and they can do those kind of things. But if, if what you're learning to do is make money by acting, then you could be monetarily successful, but you're not a human being yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid they may have... Um, and you can get lost in a character you've created. Um, and also, you know this better than I do, but what comes quick goes quick when it comes to the social media world as well. And you're one quote away from being done. Or, yeah. you know, it's, so what are you building towards? I'm just concerned that they don't work on themselves enough and know who they are well enough. But you can really, you know, gosh, you can really start to believe start that sentence over. I used to tell my kids, never believe your positive press is mm-hmm. what I always told my kids. And that's why I never read the paper when I was the mayor. Um, I had people tell me what was going on. I didn't read columns about me. Um, I, I just, and people used to come up to me when I was preaching and say, that was great. They're like, oh, you'd say that if it was the worst thing I ever said. <laughs> so I just told them never believe your positive press. And that may sound like cynical, but I think I was training myself to not allow yourself to think more highly of yourself than you really are yeah. and just keep striving. And I'm afraid there's so much approval or what appears to be click approval that you you have a false identity. Does that make any sense at all? It does. It does because, you know, if somebody does lose, you know, their following, whatever, and they don't have a good sense of who they actually are, then that's going to be doubly hard for them to bounce back from that. Yeah. And hopefully they're being very smart with their money and yeah. investing. <laughs> and the most successful people have the most failure. Yeah. You know, it's it's the rare person who's the one hit. Well, there's a lot of people who are one hit wonders. It's the rare person who hits it right the first time. Mm-hmm. And and the, the way the mental things are happening to kids through their digital screens, they're not even digitally healthy enough to deal with rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Again, more power to them if they can make it happen. But I, you asked, what's my advice? I just say you better really work hard on who you are in your soul. Yeah. And um, because your soul can get crushed pretty quick. Yeah. I think more often than not, those types of like I'll say clickbaity type of headlines and things like that, like it is it is an act, right? A lot of the times because it turns out like you know they they've made the money through selling a course on how to make the money. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like it's like. 
hey, send, you know, I'm going to show you how to make, you know, a hundred dollars a day. Um, just send me a dollar for my pamphlet. Right. Yeah. And then it turns out like, oh, that was a scam. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, when I, I'll tell you when this hit me the first time. I had I had a person here in Midland who asked me if I wanted to write a letter to President Bush. This was early in my career here in Midland because Bush is from here, you know, W and his friend network is here, a lot of it. And so they would go to the White House for Christmas. And this friend called me and said, I may be in the company of the president. And if I am and I'm able to have a conversation with him, would you like to write him a letter and I'll hand it to him? And I said, well, yeah, who wouldn't do that? So I wrote him a letter and talked about some stuff going on in Sudan and China and, you know, and then one day I'm, I'm in my car and my phone rings and it's, it says Washington, D.C. And I, I think it's junk. I don't I'm not even thinking about my letter. <laughs> sure. So I don't answer it. And voicemail comes through. Mr. Payton, this is President Bush's scheduling secretary. We'd like to see, he'd like to visit with you next week. Could you make it? And I'm like, you know, let me check my calendar, right? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, game on, you know? And, and so we, we, Go to Washington, D.C. There's another gentleman with me, and we're going to have this meeting with the president. And we're already being told, you know, at any minute this could cancel. The president's world can change. You're sitting in the – if you've never been to the White House, the Oval Office and the whole area there is really tiny. Like, mm -hmm. it's not big. The Oval Office is kind of big, but everything's real small. I mean, it looks like the big White House, but it's kind of old. And you're sitting there in this lobby, and you can see the door, and you're like, I, I might go in there. <laughs> and then they're like, the president will see you now. And they open the door – and he's he's like, are you Patrick? Because I'm like, what do you? How do you behave in this thing? Like, right. do I bow? Do I curtsy? Do I shake his hand? And he run, he walks up and gives me this huge hug. I'm just don't hug back, you know, whatever the case might be. So we sit down. We have this great conversation. They said it'll probably be a 15 minute deal. We're there for 45 minutes. We have this great wow. conversation. Okay, that's great. You know, you just saw the most powerful man in the world, had a 45-minute conversation. To your point, though, about influencers and digital and young people, we walk out. There's no press. I remember exactly the door we walked out. I could take you there today. We walk out across the street, and I distinctly remember looking up and seeing the sky and looking down and seeing the grass and thought, hmm, I just saw the most powerful man in the world. The sky's still blue. The grass is still green. People are still people, and I got to do life and not think I'm special because of this. Mm -hmm. And it was just a, and I've met him several times after that. And it's been just uh, realizing it's just human beings trying to figure this thing out, man. Yeah. You didn't grab your phone. Let's take a selfie and put Did it not on, take tweet one it picture. Out. <laughs> Did not even, the only picture we took was the white house photographer. Sure. That's it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm, I, I'd probably fall into that camp too. Like, because again, it's that, it's that life that I was like, if I don't, Put this on social media right now. It didn't exist. It, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. Yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah. Let's um. So no neutral moments. Your podcast. Mm -hmm. When did you start that? Uh, shortly after I retired, uh, we had coined this phrase, or I had coined this phrase in a sermon several times. When I just said to people one day, I said, "You know, it was the phrase." I said, "You just need to understand. There's no neutral moments." And kind of where it came from was I was traveling a lot and in airports a lot. And realizing, you know, you start in the world of the airport, if you're there all the time, you get more flights canceled, things happen. If uh, I'd been, I was, how do you say this correctly, guys? I was being more recognized in airports, so you might end up in a conversation or something. And uh, and more often than not, flights not flights would get delayed. And I sort of had realized, you know, that lady behind the desk is not the enemy. No. And so how can I engage this moment to help her? And I just started noticing more of 
Wow, every interaction with people has no neutrality to it. There's a word that's going to be said. There's there's a facial expression. And it really was very burdening and convicting to me that, you know, somebody's watching, somebody's paying attention. And, and so we just said there are no neutral moments. And pay attention to what's going on and what's going on around you. And, and now I have, you know, over probably almost a decade of just stories of you thought you were in this moment for yourself and all of a sudden it got engaged and mm -hmm. it was not, no longer neutral. So we just said, let's do no neutral moments and see what happens. And, um, you know, it's, it's not something we spend a lot of time on, but it's something that because of you and Jesse and others who have said, you gotta, you know, cause I never did Facebook or any of that when I was a pastor. Thank the Lord. Cause can you imagine <laughs> if I'd run for office and I had, you know, 15 years of Facebook posts. Sure. I mean, so, and I, I don't even know how to log in anything else I have, but some people who care about the trajectory we on have said, you need to try some of this, man. And you have, and you've coached us through this and said, let's try to take this to the next level. And so that's where no neutral moments came from. And, um, we, uh, it's, it's been a good ride. So yeah, we're excited, um, that you're filming your podcast here in our studio. I'm very grateful for that. Um, definitely excited. Yeah. Um, you know, I get the pleasure of, you know, seeing you at work, really. I mean, like a great interviewer, you got some amazing guests. Um, so, you know, who's this podcast for? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I think I would hope it's for just about anybody who wants to just listen to someone maybe tell about the wisdom of their life. Um, uh, I've really sort of never really believed that I have much that anybody needs to hear me say, but people have asked me to speak and to speak to others. And so we just do that and hope that there's something we can say that encourages them and something that we can say that helps them know there's another story, you know, for instance, when we just interviewed uh, uh, Lori, you know, and hearing her stories about India, you know, were incredible. And, or I said, Lori, it's Laura. When we interviewed Bob Fu and you hear what's happening in China, it's incredible. You, you know, we'll talk to Tracy Bentley here coming up soon and finding out what's, what's really going on in the oil and gas industry. And then the interview we'll do with Lisa Bounds about trafficking. It will be, yeah. you know, it, so you just, you know, I have no intention of being, uh, Tim Ferriss or, you know, uh, something like that, uh, you just sort of realize maybe there's a small audience that we can bless and they can enjoy and get something out of it. That sounds awesome. You're not on the heel. You're not trying to go after Joe Rogan or anything like that. You know, I'm going to let Rogan have his thing. You know, <laughs> if he has me on his show, I'll be happy to be on his show. I don't know if I could last three hours. It's crazy. Yeah. I just, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's so long. Um, but yeah, I think we'll just see how it goes and, um, we'll see if we have a market for it. And if we don't, we'll, it's not our identity. So we'll go on to the next thing. Yeah. Well, listen, we appreciate you, your time today. I know you've got some other um, engagements to get to, um, but we thank you for thank being you. here. Really and, appreciate uh, do, it. Oh, you know what? Do you have any final advice for the current mayor of Midland? <laughs> <laughs> I have learned to never answer that question. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Didn't get that TikTok clip for outgoing ma mayor message, but that's okay. Um, you can do a dance. Yeah. Let's, what are you doing? Um, again, thank you so much. Listen, check out No Neutral Moments. I'll uh, put the link the first episode. 
here on YouTube and check out the Peyton group if you're a I mean I'm you're talking like high level fortune yeah I'd do very one on one stuff okay I mean I do one on one on one stuff with people inside companies but I pretty much price myself out of the one on one market good for you <laughs> good for you so listen if you're a if you're a high level CEO and you want uh, you want some help you know growing scaling your business reach out to to Patrick and yeah, we'd love to be great again, thank be you great. so much for being here man. thanks a lot. Thank it's been great it was be awesome great. all right we'll see you on the next one bye